listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Back in the studio this week for a brand new series. Um, You know, one of the things that uh, has been irritating my spirit, and and obviously if you're a, a Christian, it's irritating your spirit, is seeing how the enemy is coming against families and children and your grandchildren uh, so hard in these fi- final moments of time. And there's, if you, if you can't see this, let me help you see it. There's an all out attack against the family, an all out attack against the children and our grandchildren in this uh, generation. 2023 is what I'm uh, live right now, if you're watching a replay years in the future, maybe you're watching this and Jesus has already come and you're watching you were left behind. Understand you missed the boat. Um, Hannah, are you still pregnant? Quick question for Hannah Campbell. She's like 92 weeks pregnant. Let us know if that baby has come yet. But if you can't tell, there is an all out attack against the family. Um, recently, you saw what happened. Um, even even uh, Target was targeting the children. And uh, people that are encouraging the children to mutilate their bodies, encouraging children to be confused about their identity, as if that's somehow a mark of, uh, um, you know, it it blows my mind. It's like uh, celebrities pushing their children to be confused uh, as, as somehow that's like a hipster mark of being trendy uh, in Hollywood. It's, it's mind-blowing. And, um, and we see it everywhere. There's an all-out attack against the family. Now, let me just say before we start this, I'm going to give you this week, today through Friday, I'm going to give you 15 actionable steps to keep your family from that wickedness, that evil that's going on in, in the world right now. We're going to talk about it from the scripture. I'm going to give you verses of scripture to stand on, but we're going to give you 15 vital actions to guard against this end time evil. And that's why we titled it safeguarding your family's faith, because you do faith's not automatic. You have to fight the good fight of faith to lay hold. Faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. And if you are, uh, live with me right now, put it in the comments. Faith is a fight. If you're watching on the replay, right? Faith is a fight. And let us know by putting hashtag replay tribe. Faith is a fight. There's no question about that. So you don't lay back and then passively expect your faith to get stronger and stronger. No, no. Faith is a fight. And that's why we fight the good fight of faith. And we lay hold on eternal life. We're standing for what the word of God says. We're standing for the truth in a generation that loves the lies. I want, I want to say that. And I'm, I'm going to write that down because I believe the Holy Spirit gave me that. Standing for the truth in a generation that loves the lies. And that's really a motto for our family. We're standing for the truth in a generation that loves the lies. And they love the lies, man. And I'll tell you, that's something even Paul prophesied would happen. That you would get to a place in time where people would love teaching that is a lie. And they would literally accumulate to themselves teachers who would only tell them the things they want to hear. We're living in that day right now with gay pride flags hanging from churches and teaching inclusivity, teaching that uh, things that the Bible clearly calls sin is no longer sin. And I'm going to tell you something. The day Paul prophesied, we're living in it. A day where people love evil rather than good. 
people are accumulating teachers that will just fill their ears with the lies that they celebrate, the lies that they want to hear. There's an all out attack against the family, but thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for his mighty word that we can be nonstop victorious until Jesus comes. We can be victorious without fail until Jesus comes. I know you're declaring it for your kids and grandkids. I'm declaring it for my children. I don't yet have grandchildren, but my children will serve the Lord. My children will serve the Lord. Amen. And when I do, if Jesus tarries, when I do have grandchildren, they will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Sin will not overtake my family. Wickedness will not enter in to my family. As for me and my house and your house and your children and your grandchildren, we will serve the Lord. It's a fight. Faith is a fight. And I refuse to let the devil have my family, have my children, have my loved ones. I refuse. And I'm standing to fight. And again, we're going to come back to that because I believe the Holy Spirit just gave me that. Standing for the truth in a generation that loves the lies. That's right. Nancy said, I just come back from London. Almost every male is confused about their gender. Very sad. But as Joshua declared in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so that's why this week is so important. I'm going to give you 15 actionable, actionable steps to ensure that this end time evil does not touch your family in Jesus name. It's especially important if you have small children, small grandchildren, because you want to instill these principles from the beginning. Instill these principles from the beginning. If your children are, are no longer small, maybe they're grown, don't be upset. It's not too late. We're believing God that every child, every grandchild will serve the Lord. I'll start by saying this. Do you remember? Do you remember in the Old Testament when God was raising up a deliverer to set his children free from bondage in Egypt? That was Moses. What did Pharaoh, who by the way is a type of Satan, what did Pharaoh do when he understood what was taking place? He had, he gave an instruction to have them kill all of the Hebrew babies. Look at how that works. The devil knows there's a deliverer being raised up. So what does he do? Comes against the babies, comes against the children. And God spared them. And the midwives were dishonest with Pharaoh and said, no, these, these Hebrew women are having babies so quickly, we can't, we can't get them all. And God blessed them for doing that. In Jesus' day, again, God's raising up a deliverer, Jesus. What did King Herod do in Jesus' day? He gave an instruction, kill all the children two and under. That's a, that's a demonic thing. Why? Because he knew a deliverer is being raised up. The devil knew. The devil knows what's happening in the spirit realm. Why do you think all of these things are happening in our generation? Because once again, two things I want to point out. The devil can sense that the Holy Ghost is raising up deliverers in your house and in my house. Our children will be not, let me, let me get this in your spirit, a word of faith here. Your children will not just be serving the Lord. Your children will be raised up as deliverers, your grandchildren will be raised up as deliverers to deliver this generation from the wickedness that's been put on them from the enemy. And Liz, we will pray. Uh, let us know what's going on and, and let us stand in faith with you and pray for your mom. So notice Pharaoh went after the children, Herod went after the children and the devil's still going after the children because I mean, that's what Hitler did. You know, Hitler went after the children. He wanted to control the minds and have full control of the young people. What do you think, if you've ever studied history, what do you think the incinerations of the 1930s and 40s were all about? Burning all the books. Burning all the books that did not align with the thought process of the Third Reich. Why? Because he wanted to be the one that put the truth in their minds. His truth. What he wanted them to think and believe and know.
That's what the whole point is, propaganda. To brainwash you that this is the way. This is the way. When the Bible clearly says, this is the way, walk ye in it. This is the way, walk ye in it. So what is the, what's the story here? The story is, if you can control the children and the youth, you'll have the next generation. That's why it's a fight worth fighting. That's, it doesn't take 20 generations for a nation to be turned to evil. It doesn't take 20 generations for that to happen. It doesn't even take 10. It doesn't even take five. It doesn't even take two. Did you know the Bible says in the Old Testament, when God was calling his people into the promised land, he gave them an instruction. When you get in there, do not marry their women and do not let their men marry your women because they're pagans. Don't be integrated with them, be separate from them. But they did not obey God's command and they married and intermarried anyway. You know what the result of that was? The Bible says, and the next generation rose up after that generation went to be with their fathers. They died. Judges 2.10. The Bible says another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he'd done for Israel. Do you know what that means? That means that not only did they not serve the Lord, they didn't even know him or the work. That means they didn't even know the testimonies of the previous generation, which means the previous generation was not talking about God's goodness, was not talking about the good things God had done, was not sharing it with their children and grandchildren, wasn't happening. So in one generation, in one generation, a, a whole nation turned away from God. It doesn't take 20 or 10 or five generations. That's why this is a fight worth fighting. It's a fight worth fighting. That's Judges 2.10. And so you need to see it. That's why these steps that I'm going to give you, they're, they're not exhaustive. This is not every possible step you could take, but these are 15 very important steps that you have to take. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. And each day I'm going to give you uh, about four or so from today through Friday. And you're not going to miss one of these days because I'm telling you the fight is on. The fight is on, the battle is on for the next generation, and we refuse to lay our children down at the feet of the Antichrist spirit. I refuse to let people's grandchildren be laid down at the feet of this Antichrist spirit. And so I'm going to give these to you, and I'm going to explain the importance of them. I want to explain the importance of them because it's not, these are not things that we do flippantly. These are things we do with purpose knowing that they have an outcome that God wanted for us in our families, that God wanted for us. Uh, and, and I'm going to start giving you these for today and through the week. I'll, I'll number them through the week so you have a full list by the end. But number one, I want you to write this down. I know we say this, but then how many people actually do it? Number one, personal and family prayer. Number one, first actionable step personal and family prayer. Now let me explain to you the importance of this. You say, well, you know, I pray. Yes, you pray, but let your children see you pray. Let your children see you pray. Let your children hear you pray and then lead them in prayer. You know, a lot of times, and I'm noticing this with, with young children, children don't, they're not born knowing how to pray. And there's a lot of Christians that are adults that don't know how to pray. <laughs> if you don't know that, just start asking people to pray during church services or, or to close a church service. People don't know. That's why we launched these prayer groups too. We want to pray together. Again, tonight is Tuesday night, which means prayers tonight. And we pray together. And these prayer services are powerful because we're praying together, focusing our faith. But the kids don't know how to pray until you teach them how to pray. Did you know the disciples? Uh, after all of the things they had seen Jesus do, the only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them was teach us how to pray. Did you ever notice they didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to work miracles. Lord, teach us how to get that gold out of uh, the fish's mouths like you did that time. No, the only thing they ever asked Jesus was, Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus had a way of praying that the disciples saw and thought, man, 
We don't know how to pray. We need to pray like he prays. We need to pray like he prays. Prayer is taught. Prayer is taught. That's why you've got to have personal and family prayer. I'll tell you this. Since I've had children, since they were born, I don't know, maybe a handful of times my wife and I have missed putting them to bed at night. My daughter's 13 years old. My other daughter's nine. My son's seven. We still put them to bed every single night and spend that time with them. We pray together every single night, every night. I want my children to hear what prayers sound like. Not just thank you, Jesus, for this food, bless it to our bodies in Jesus name. Amen. And tear into your lunch for some kids. That's the only prayer they ever hear. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Bless for this food we're about to receive. Lord, we give thanks for thy bountiful blessing. More than just praying over your food. What does it sound like to pray kingdom prayers? What does it sound like to pray for your nation? What does it sound like to pray for your extended family members? What does it sound like to pray that God would empower you to please him with your life? That's right. I was just giving Glenn and Denise compliments this morning. They run uh, the youth camp in New Hampshire that I preached for many years now. My cousin's preaching. And uh, Glenn, I was just giving him a compliment who helps me run our men's prayer group um, that they've done such a phenomenal job in prayer. You know, one of the reasons I believe that youth camp is the, the most powerful one I've ever preached of all the youth camps that I've ever preached. I mean, a thick move of the Holy Ghost where kids are getting, I mean, and I mean that I'm talking about as good as any revival that you want to be in, but they take time before every service and he'll gather the, the students outside and they get in a circle and they pray. And I mean, they go in, they pray for real. They pray for real. Not like Lord, touch my friend, Lord, touch the country. No, they go in praying and then praying in Holy ghost and leading them. What happens? It stirs your spirit up for what God's about to do in the service. And then the power of the Holy ghost moves and kids get changed by the Holy spirit Tra changes the whole trajectory of their lives. Prayer is powerful. It provokes the power of God. And we got to teach prayer is taught. You don't, you're not born just understanding the depths of prayer. You teach it, you teach it. And so we're teaching our children how to pray. I don't want to just, uh, have them here. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Good night's sleep. Jesus name. Amen. No, pray. Let them hear you pray. And that's the key because what you know, you know, this as well as I do, your children mimic you. They mimic what you do. They mimic what you do. I was laughing. It made me so proud. So proud. My daughter, Brooklyn was at a friend's house and, uh, and she said, you know, do you not know about Jesus? And she said, no, I don't, I don't really know about Jesus. She said, well, open your Bible. <laughs> she said, I don't have a, so she gets, Brooklyn gets a Bible. They open it up and Brooklyn turns and starts reading to her from the Bible and starts to start sharing with her. Then Brooklyn's nine, you know, and then she's telling her, you know, about things that are going on at our church. And then she said, you know, you got to come to church with me. Yeah. I, I want you to come to church. And, uh, and she said, oh, okay, I'll have to come. And then Brooklyn had brought home one of the envelopes, our, our offering envelopes from the church. And so she handed it to the girl and she said, all right, we're going to receive an offering now. <laughs> and the girl, the girl emptied her whole piggy bank, uh, uh, and put all the money in the envelope and Brooklyn's receiving an offering. What she's just, she's mimicking what she's seen her mother and I do. She's sharing Jesus. She's encouraging people to get into church. And apparently she's receiving offerings as well. And, and she's mimicking. What are the, your children? They, they see what you do. You know, a lot of us, they, we just want them to do what we tell them to do, but they're not, they don't do just what you tell them to do. They do what they see you do. That's why, you know, I, I set the atmosphere properly in our, in our home because I don't want them to only do what we say, but not what we do. It's never going to happen. They learn by your actions. That's why your children begin to have your um, mannerisms, your character traits. It, it's like you, you know who comes from which family. You know who is who. And it's amazing to watch. But it's only because they're learning, they're pulling from what you already are. 
So number one, personal, but also family prayer. Family prayer. The Bible, Paul encouraged us in the scripture to pray without ceasing. Your kids should hear what prayer sounds like. And, and, and listen, that's why I'm encouraging people, do it with them. Don't just say, hey, you need to go to your room and pray. Or hey, you, you need to make sure you pray before bed every night. No, do it together until they're pulling those, those prompts. They're pulling those things from your life and your experience. You know, that's why we, pr- that's why we uh, provide in our app uh, the, the prayer points so that we have scripturally based prayers that we can start or boost our prayer time with to just get kick-started and then be led by the Spirit and pray. But we're teaching even our children. We're standing on God's Word in prayer. And this is how you pray. Find a scripture verse that backs up what you're believing for and stand on it and pray that verse of scripture. And thank God that his word is true and that he's going to bring his word to pass in your life. And you got to teach them. They don't know that. I didn't, uh, you know, pray with prayer points until later in life, until I started seeing these Nigerian churches and the way they would pray. But that's right, Kiernan, train up a child in the way that they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. So set a time, you know, and let your children, whether it be before they go to school, before bed, whatever it might be, but pray together. Let them hear you pray. Pray boldly. Pray with the fire of the Holy Ghost in you. Let them hear what fervent prayer sounds like. Let them hear what fervent prayer, not disinterested prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness, your mercy. No, let them hear fervent, urgent prayer. Let them hear what it sounds like when you're pressing in for a breakthrough. Don't be embarrassed to pray like that in front of your children. They need to hear you pray. You know why? Because as they're growing, they need to be people of fervent prayer. If we're going to stay free from the wickedness of this world, if we're going to stay free from the temptations of this world, then we're going to have to be people of fervent prayer. Let me read you what Jesus said about this. When his disciples were failing in prayer, Jesus had to encourage them. Matthew chapter 26. And if you remember the story, he's in the garden of Gethsemane with his, with his disciples and they keep falling asleep while he's praying. But then he wakes them up and finally says this to them. I'll read you verses 40 and 41. Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41. Listen to this. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Let me stop right there. To Jesus, it seems like an hour of praying was not a long time. Because the way he's speaking about it right now is in the, he's minimizing that amount of time. He said, you couldn't even do the minimum. You couldn't even do an hour. There were times Jesus prayed through the night, through the entire night. He said, you couldn't even uh, watch with me for an hour. Now look at verse 41, because this is the powerful thought. Jesus said, keep watch and pray. So why? So that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Let me just emphasize that verse with you. Don't miss this. The Bible says very clearly, keep watch and pray. Why? So that you'll not give into temptation. So if you don't want your children to give into temptation, Jesus said, the key is be a person of prayer. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The body is weak. You know, I was with my son last night and he, he kind of got into trouble and, um, he got into trouble because he did something that we had already told him not to do. He, he had already been instructed about this and he did it anyway. You know, it's been, you know, months since we told him never do this. And then he purposely went and did it anyway. Well, he got, he got in big trouble for that. I said, you're, you're doing something that I instructed you not to do. That's direct disobedience. I said, did you remember that you're not supposed to do that? Yes. Yes, I remember I'm not supposed to do that. I'll never, Dad, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again, Dad. <laughs> he, 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 he did, and he was serious. And I said, son, that, that disobedience 
I said, I know you don't want to disobey. I don't, Dad. I don't want to disobey. I said, son, I said, when you disobey, because the Bible says obey your parents. I said, when you disobey dad or mom, that's a sin. I said, son, that's a sin. He said, dad, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. That's what he told me last night. I don't want to sin. I said, son, nobody wants to sin if they're a Christian. Nobody wants, your spirit doesn't want to sin. But then I had to explain to him what Jesus is explaining right here. That the spirit is willing to do what? To please the Lord. But it's the flesh that's weak. It's the flesh that wants to do the things it's not supposed to do. That's why the Bible says if you'll walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But you have to walk in the spirit. You have to let your spirit, and I'm explaining this to him last night as a seven-year-old boy. You have to do what you know is right, not what you feel like doing all the time. And so what did I do? After I explained that to, to him, I prayed with him. I said, let's pray. We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord. I said, first of all, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you for uh, doing what you knew was wrong and you did it anyway. And he prayed with me and he asked the Lord, forgive, forgive me, Lord, for, for that. But then I said, now you need to ask him to empower you, to strengthen you, to please God with your life to strengthen you to do what's right, even when you feel like doing what's wrong. So you have to use these as teaching moments, even with young kids, to know that was wrong. But what will keep me from continually falling into that wrong? Jesus said, it's a life of prayer. A minister told my father one time, he said, if you'll pray in the Holy Ghost every morning until you feel the anointing come upon you, you'll never backslide. So told my, an old minister told my father, if you'll pray in the Holy Ghost every morning until you feel the anointing come upon you, you'll never backslide. No, it's that time of prayer, personal prayer, yes, but also family prayer. Family prayer is vital. It's absolutely vital. And so we have to teach our children to pray. Number two, this is so important. I know that these first ones, so I, I know that, but, but this, this has to be habitual. It has to be all the time. It has to be things that you put in front of their face and by repetition, teach them by repetition. Number two, the second thing that I believe is so extremely important. We do this, study the Bible together as a family and discuss the things it's teaching. I came out. I, I was, I was reading the word this morning and I came out to the couch and my wife was already reading the Bible with Brooklyn on the couch and teaching her what those passages meant. They were going through a portion of the gospels to something Jesus was doing and why the Pharisees were angry at Jesus for doing what he was doing. And, uh, she was explaining why the Pharisees were angry, but why Jesus didn't care that they were angry, didn't care that he had done miracles on the Sabbath day. See, as a kid, you don't understand what the Sabbath day is and you don't understand why you shouldn't be doing miracles on that day. So my wife is explaining. So she's not just reading the Bible to Brooklyn. We're not just asking Madeline to read her Bible, but we're explaining. What do these things mean? So study the Bible as a family, but discuss what the Bible's saying. How do you apply those things to your daily life? See, this is more important than anyone could ever imagine that it is, especially now, especially now. And so whether you uh, come together and form some kind of a, a family reading plan, that wouldn't be a bad idea to have some sort of a, a family reading plan that you then in, interact and discuss, what does this passage mean? What does it mean to us as a family to know that the Bible says this? What does it mean that the Bible says that we should rejoice always? And again, I say rejoice. To be anxious for nothing. What does that mean to us as a family? Well, how, how can we put that into practice as a family? That we are always rejoicing and we're never anxious in Jesus' name. And we talk about what it means. How do you take those steps to apply that to your life? Number two, study the Bible to get not just, and that's important that we phrase it that way, not just read the Bible together, study the Bible together, study the Bible together, because there's, there's a difference between reading it and studying it. 
And when I came out and saw my wife and my daughter doing this morning, they were not just reading the Bible, they were studying it. Why? Because it's not just going across what it says, but it's explaining what it means and explaining how to apply that in your own life. That's a deeper level than just reading. That's truly studying. And so uh, the Bible says, the psalmist wrote this, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my pathway. Hallelujah. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word of God illuminates the path that you should walk. It's a light to show you so that you don't stumble. That's powerful. You ever had that where you, <laughs> maybe you got up in the middle of the night to, to go to the, use the restroom and your kids had left toys out on the floor and there's <laughs> transformers and there's Barbies or whatever they might have. <laughs> transformers are the worst thing to ever step on. Those little transformers on your bare feet. And, and I'm telling you, you didn't even know they were there. You went from being half asleep to be, and Legos are the worst. That's right. You went from being half asleep to ready to fight a war because you stepped on, because you didn't know it was there. Now you're jumping around your your hallway. (laughs) You're holding back cuss words. Why? Because you didn't know that was there. And because you didn't have a light, you just thought you knew the way, but you didn't know there were obstacles. You didn't know there were things sitting there waiting for you. And as a result, you stumbled, you got hurt. But see, if you would take your phone out, put that flashlight on a walk, you'd clearly see those things in your path. That's what the word of God does. It illuminates your path because it is a light. It's a light. It shows you the way so that you do not stumble. Your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Nancy says, do you do verse by verse or the whole chapter of the Bible study with your kids, you can do what you feel is right. If there's a passage, there might be a paragraph inside of a chapter that you want to go over with your kids and say, hey, here, I want you to get this thought. Maybe you want to read a a chapter or a story and say, I want you to get this and hear it. And I want to explain to you, first, I want to ask, what do you think it means? How do you think that, that, and then talk about it that way. How do you think you would use this in your life? After you've explained to them the context and everything, how do you think that you would use this in your life? And then give them suggestions. This is what I think you could do. This is what I think you could do every day to apply this verse to your life and take them through it and let them understand what it means, why it means what it means, and then how to use it, how to use it. The word is a light. You know what the psalmist also wrote? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not what sin against God. So the same thing, the same thing that Jesus was saying to them about prayer is the same thing. The psalmist is saying about studying the word. Jesus said, if you'll continually watch and pray, then you'll not fall into temptation. The psalmist said, if you'll hide the word in your heart, then you'll not sin against God. So here we can really see two major elements that keep our families from the wickedness of sin. Praying every day and filling ourselves with God's word every day. Praying every day, filling ourselves with God's word every single day. Those are two major elements, vital actions that keep us from the wickedness of this world. Amen. You know, when, when Paul was writing to Timothy, his last letter he ever wrote, he was explaining how vital the word of God was. In fact, I'll read that to you. Second Timothy chapter three, second Timothy chapter three, what a powerful uh, view of the scripture. Paul says in second Timothy three, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In Jesus' name. 
That's how we know that the Bible, the word of God is effectual in every area of our lives. It'll correct us. It'll instruct us. It'll lead us. It'll guide us. And then it equips us to be who God called us to be. And yes, Karen, I will pray. Number three, number three, get this in your spirit. Put it in the notes. Be a faithful member of church. Say, what does that mean? It means that you don't show up one Sunday out of five, which is the average in America now. Uh, Christians go to church once every five weeks. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Every week when the doors are open, be in the house. Be in the house. Be a faithful member of the body of Christ. A faithful member of the body of Christ. Don't be like this generation. Why do you think things are falling apart? Why do you think it's crisis after crisis? Issue after issue. People can't figure out what's going on. And they don't, they're not even faithful to church like the Bible commands us to be. They're not even faithful to church. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. But as you see the day of the Lord approaching, gather all the more. Going to church, gathering together with other believers is not an optional thing. It's not a suggestion. We are commanded to come together. We're commanded to come together. Commanded to come together. I'm going to give you the foundation today. And then as we move through this week, I'm going to give you the rest of these 15. It's going to help you to see things you've never seen before. So, man, I I need to incorporate that with my family right now. Right now. (laughs) It's like one preacher said, my mother had a drug ministry. She drugged me to church every Sunday. And that's the truth. My kids don't have an option. Hey, do you guys feel like going to church today? (laughs) I didn't have an option growing up. Hey, do you feel like going to church or would you rather just stay home and rest today? I didn't have an option. There's no way I would have had an option. To just sit around. I'm so blown away. Well, you know, he's a teenager now. You know, we let him start to make his own choices. No. Does he pay the mortgage? Is he paying your your, uh, bills? Is he putting food on the table? He's a dependent member of your house, and he will get up, get his clothes on, get in the car, and go to church. I don't care if they're 17. I don't care if they're 18. Well, I'm illegally, I'm an adult now. Good for you. Get in the car. You're going to church. Amen. I've never understood, I don't understand this uh, trend that we're seeing uh, in our generation where the kids have this big say in in what goes on in the house. They they don't have this big say. I don't get it. I don't get it. (laughs) I just don't don't understand. I I really don't. It's it's mind-blowing to me. AJ Bible said, I told my dad once I didn't want to go to teens on uh, on Sunday night. He laughed in such a way. I realized I may be risking my life. (laughs) Kiernan said, my three-year-old recently was throwing up and had a fever and we rebuked it and still went to church. Amen. Amen. It's like, it's so funny to me. People are like, hey, how come you didn't um, come to church? Oh, I, I didn't feel good. Yeah, this is the place you come when you don't feel good. That's why the Bible says in the book of James chapter five, are there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church who will lay their hands upon them and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Where do you come to receive prayer for healing? Where do you come to have hands laid upon you? To church, to the elders of the church. Amen. And church is vital. It's not an option. It's not something that can be ignored. We need what God instituted, which is the New Testament church. And I'm telling you, if you make, let me just say this because I've, I've seen this happen. And it's very sad. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will celebrate. I'll say it another way. What you do and allow in moderation the next generation will do in excess. Let me say that again. What you allow or do in moderation, the next generation will allow and do in excess. So if I act like church is not important 
and we go once every month or once every five weeks because, you know, there's more important stuff going on. You may not say that out of your mouth, but your actions prove it. Well, it's a really nice day. We're going to go to the lake today. We got to get the boat out and the jet skis. And, you know, oh, it's, man, it's a really, you know, it's rainy today. And I think it'd be nice if we just kind of stayed in and have a family movie morning. And, you know, you treat it that way and your kids see that. Well, church is something we do if we have time. You know, church is something we do if it's not that nice of a day out. You know, we'll go every once in a while. I don't think we need to be there every Sunday. So you do that and you do it in moderation. Then your kids will do it in excess because they'll grow up knowing and thinking, well, dad and mom didn't really think church was that important. So don't be surprised when they stop going to church altogether. Don't be surprised when your kids just deny that they need church at all. Say, well, you know, we live very busy lives. You know, we try to catch it online every now and then. No, don't be surprised because what one generation allows in moderation, the next generation will do it in excess. That's why, you know, if I don't, you know, I don't want my kids to drink. I don't have alcohol in the house. I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't just pray that my kids don't become alcoholics, but you know, I'm having wine all the time and say, well, you know, it's fine. You know, know, I'm just doing a moderation. Yeah, and don't be surprised when your kids are out drinking. Don't be surprised when they're at parties getting drunk. Don't be surprised when they're at the bar. Don't be surprised when they're at the club because you, you allowed it in your house in moderation. My kids will never know what it is to be drunk. They'll never know what alcohol tastes like. My kids will not only know what it never is to be high, they'll never know what drugs feel like. That not only will they never know what it is to be destroyed, they'll not know brokenness in Jesus' name. And so you have to not allow it, even in moderation. And we start by making God's house priority. It's got to be priority in your life. We, if the doors are open, we go to church. We're a church-going family. Amen. And my kids know because you know, we're in church almost every night of the week in revivals, in our church, I mean, whatever. We're always in the house of God. And my kids love it. I've never had my kids complain. Oh, I don't know. Do we have to go to church again? Do we have to go to church again? They don't ever say that. They don't ever think that. They're excited. If, if there's been a, a period of time without, uh, you know, um, a revival, or they're like, when, when are we going to, uh, uh, to the next revival? When are we going back to this church? They'll ask about specific churches. When are we going back to this church? When are we going back to that to have another revival? When are we going back to them? They're excited. They're excited to go and do it. They want to be in God's house. They thrive in God's house. They love God's house. And that's how we're raising them. To love God's house. To value being in church. You've got to do the same. You've got to let your children know this is not optional. If the doors are open, we go to church. I raise, I mean, it changes your whole life when you're not inconsistent, in and out. Then kids see that, and then they live a whole life that's inconsistent. Don't allow it. Acts 2.42, the Bible said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Where were the apostles' teaching? In the temple. So in order to go devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, you got to go to the temple. In fact, if you go on to the next chapter, the Bible said they were all going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They actually had a scheduled hour of prayer every day. Ninth hour of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon. That's where they were, in the temple. That was how the early church did it. That's how the early church functioned. They were in there and thriving on, devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Number four, this is the last one I'll give you for today, and we'll continue on with the, other, the rest of the 15 through the week. This is an important one. I don't think enough families do this at all, at all. Listen to this now. If you want to write in the comments, just write it this way. Atmosphere of open communication. Atmosphere of open communication. To answer the mighty Sarlacc on YouTube, this is dishonest to think your kids will never do any drugs or alcohol just because you go to church. You can never say they will never try it. In fact, you can if you raise them properly. Because the Bible says if you'll train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. 
Amen. My parents raised me that way. I have never tasted alcohol. I'm 40, going to be 41 years old. I've never tasted alcohol a day in my life. I've never had a sip of wine. I don't even know what alcohol tastes like. I've never drank. I've never had a beer. I've never had a glass of wine. I've never taken a shot of whiskey. I've never had a wine cooler. I've never had any of that. I don't know what drugs feel like. I've never smoked, I've never even smoked marijuana. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be high. And I wasn't sheltered in some little side room of a church somewhere. I went to public high school on sports teams around all of it. And you can do it. You can protect your family from the wickedness of this world. You can teach your children to make decisions. You know, this is how stupid of an idea that that is, Mighty Sarlacc, is that you believe that there's no way to properly teach someone how to make proper decisions. So you can raise your kids to be complete idiots if you want to, and probably already are, if you have children. God help you if you do. But you can raise your children to make proper decisions and to live according to what the Bible says. It's not random whether or not they're they're able to do Uh, what the Bible says is not random. And to be very honest with you, I don't care if you believe it or not, because it's what the Bible teaches. Your opinion means absolutely nothing. What the Bible teaches is what means anything. I'm not teaching my opinions on this broadcast. I'm teaching what the Bible says. And so it doesn't matter what you think. The Bible teaches us we can train our children up in such a way that they will actually be successful, that they'll actually make an impact on their generation, that they'll be holy. How could Joshua declare, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord? He'd say, well, I think I'm going to do it. I'll ask my kids and my teenagers, you know, if they have a preference to serve the Lord as well. And, you know, if, if they decide to as well, then me and my whole, no. He said, as for me and my whole house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. That's like as, as dumb as, as saying, you know, my, I, how can you know your, your kids are going to go to school? You don't know if they'll go to school or not. You may have gone to school, but you don't know if you're going to. No, they're going to school. We will make them go to school. They go to school. They have no choice but to go to school. How do you know your kids are going to um, learn things? Because we're forcing them to learn things. That's what school is. <laughs> it's just as stupid to say, you know, you just can't know. You just can't know if they'll go to school or learn things. Yes, you can know. You can know because it's not an option. And Holy Ghost parents, Christian parents have an obligation. Now, whether they do it or not, that doesn't make the Bible untrue. It means that they didn't do their part. And if, you, and if you're in a place where you're listening to these 15 things this week, you say, man, I've not seen that before. Then start today. Start today. Turn it around and start today. Start today. No, it's not about making your kids make decisions. It's about training them how to make decisions. I'm so, and that, that's like not hard to understand. I'm sorry that you're that thin. But it's, it's, not, it's not about forcing. I'm not going to go through the rest of my life with my kids make, standing over them, making sure they make every right decision. You train them. That's what training is. Anyone that's been trained to do anything understands that. The person or the, uh, you know, the, the, whoever it is that trains you doesn't stand over you for the rest of your life making sure that you do what you... No, you're trained first and then you go do the thing you're trained to do. It's not hard to understand. It's actually a very simple principle. It's amazing how simple you have to be to to miss such a simple principle. Very, very simple to understand. So yes, you can. You can actually train your children in a scriptural way, in a biblical way, with that kind of a Christian worldview and train them how to make decisions. And the Bible gives us a promise that when you do, they'll rise up and become mighty in their generation, that they'll not depart from the Lord, that they'll please God with their lives. Why? Because you train them to do it. That's why I'm doing this whole series. Is because the devil's out to get the family, out to destroy families, out to destroy next generations. And you can take actions now that will prevent that from happening. And if you don't believe it, that's your problem.
It's not my problem. The Bible's true and you're a liar. Open communication. That's, this is so vital. I don't think enough people understand why this is so important. Fostering an atmosphere, this is number four, of open communication within the family, encouraging honest discussions about faith, doubts, and questions. You know, we don't spend enough time often training and teaching the questions that they're going to face in their own generation. Why would we send people away to public school, to college? Why would we send them out into life knowing they're going to face questions about their faith that they don't know how to answer? It's not that there aren't answers. It's that many young people have never been trained how to answer the things that they're asked. They've never been trained how to answer the things that they're, that the things that they are posed in college, in life, even in public school. And the problem is they go out into these atmospheres, these environments. That's why I always laugh. You want to send your kids off to some secular college. They've not been properly trained. They don't even know. It doesn't matter that, you know, well, we, we raised them in church. Okay, but that's only what? Two hours, three hours of their week? What did you do with them as a parent? What did you train them to understand? What did you train them to understand? If they get there and they say, oh, you know, Jesus, we don't really even know whether or not Jesus existed as a human being. Some professor in a college is going to drop something that is so obtuse that could easily be debunked in about three and a half minutes, but because they're the professor, you know, we don't really have any evidence whatsoever that Jesus existed as a man and uh, he may not have even been a historical figure. I mean, all these things that they'll be faced with, you know, the Bible is full of contradictions, the Bible, the Bible, and, and stuff that's easily answered, that we could give them the answers to and explain to them how to debunk those things. You're training them for life, don't forget. And that's why I said faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. You have to have the ammunition to fight the good fight of faith. And one of those things that you need at your disposal is the ammunition of knowledge of God's word. How to answer. Did you know we're commanded to be able to answer? 1 Peter chapter 3. And I saw the comment, it's gullible to think this way. It's gullible to think that this is not possible because you've already swallowed the lie and the propaganda of the world that there's no way to make sure. It's actually gullible to believe that this is not possible because you've actually believed that propaganda given to you by a spirit of antichrist in this world that everybody's going to experiment Everybody's going everybody's to go do their thing. They're going to try everything out and see what their truth is. It's actually gullible to believe the opposite. You're actually stupid to believe that lie. That you cannot grow up and not get engaged in those things. <laughs> it's really stupid. You actually have to be at the lowest level of intelligence to believe that way. Because you've just believed exactly what they've told you, hook, line, and sinker, you swallowed it and said, yeah, you know, that's how it is. My kids may end up trans. My kids may end up gay. My kids may end up drug addicts. My kids may end up alcoholics. My kid, okay, keep believing that. Keep believing that. If you want to, keep on believing it. <laughs> but you've believed the lie and you're gullible and you're dishonest and you're foolish. Because what you're ultimately doing is calling God a liar. You, you may, uh, it doesn't matter that they're preacher's kids or not preacher's kids. I've seen it with preacher's kids. But I've also seen the behind the scenes. That you can get so busy doing the work of the ministry that you forget your own family. I've seen it myself. It doesn't matter that they're preacher's kids. Preachers like myself are not exempted from properly training their children. So doesn't matter who you've seen or what you've seen doesn't change the truth of God's word and what's possible <laughs> and so you have to understand that in order to believe the other way you have to be comfortable calling God a liar and calling his word a lie which I will never do you can do it if you want you seem pretty sharp open communication why do we have to be able 
to explain these things because we want our children to be able to do what? Give an answer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. That's a command. That's where we get the word apologetics. Apologia is the Greek word. It's like making a defense. It's like a lawyer being able to make a case for what they believe. (laughs) You can't make some straw man argument and say, well, kids have their own free will. Of course kids have free will, you nut job. But just because someone has free will doesn't mean they'll always exercise their free will in the wrong way. I have free will. Do you see me going and just touching the the oven when it's on and just putting my hand on the burner every time it's on? No, because I understand the principle. You don't touch what's hot. I have free will. So, well, they've got free will, doesn't it? Of course they have free will. (laughs) People are so dumb. It's like, it's actually mind blowing how dumb people are. It's like, don't even understand how to make a case for what they believe. Yes, there's free will. Good job. Wonderful job. You figured out something (laughs) that everyone already knows. It doesn't change the thing I'm teaching. Everyone's got free will. Of course, it doesn't mean that they're going to exercise their free will to do the wrong thing. Just like I haven't, just like how many others in our generation have not done it. (laughs) That's the whole point of having the Bible as your guide and the Holy Spirit as your comforter and your empowerer. That's why I refuse to call God a liar like you're obviously doing because the Bible teaches us that we're able to do this. You know, here's, here's the, uh, here's a question for people that, that think that way. Here's a question for people that think that way. People have free will. So um, what was the point then of Jesus saying to multiple people whom he healed, go and sin no more? Well, they've got a free will. doesn't mean they're going to never sin again. So what? Jesus is giving them a command that's impossible for them to carry out? No. Jesus is not giving them a command that's impossible to carry out. He's empowering them to do something they could not do before. That's the whole point of salvation. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of the Word of God. You're empowered to do something that you could not do before in your natural strength. There it is. There it is. Very easy to understand. Open lines of communication. Why? Because there are going to be things that come against their thought process. There are going to be things that come against what they believe. No question about it. Let me read you real quickly, Psalm 15. You've got to be able to speak about it and you've got to be able to speak about it intelligently, which means we as parents have to be able to explain these things to our children, which means that we have to be the ones who know them first. We have to be the one. Proverbs 15 and verse one. Sorry if I said Psalm. Proverbs 15 and verse one. Let me read this to you. The Bible says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You know, you can't just every time, if if your child makes a mistake, you can't just yell at them every time. What are you doing? You can't just freak out. There has to be times of gentle answers, of training. You know, I, I... And listen, I I discipline my kids plenty. They hear about it plenty. But just like last night, there's got to be times when there's a gentle answer that deflects anger. Instead, you don't want your child growing up just feeling like every time I do something as I'm being trained that I shouldn't have done, I'm just going to get blown up on. And then it just, and then, and then I just have bottled up anger because I just always get yelled at and get in trouble and and nobody, no, take the time to train. Like, like I was talking about last night, take the time to train, take the time, a gentle answer. Why don't we do that? What's wrong with doing that? You know, 
And I know that there's a lot of people who were raised that way because I said so. But why? Because I said so. Well, yes, they should obey you because you're the authority of the home and because you said it without asking why. But it also does help to explain why because that's part of their training. It's part of their training. It helps to know why you're doing something. It actually is one of the biggest motivators in doing something is understanding the why behind what you're doing. Amen. Keeping a vision of that in front of your face. That's why you got to be able to openly communicate these things to your children. Openly discuss them. They shouldn't be afraid to talk to you about it if something happens. You know, people have such a fear of their parents. They can't talk, tell them anything if, there, if there's something that uh, happens or whatever and they feel like, you know, oh man, I can, I can never tell my dad about this. I can never tell my mom about this. No, they should be, you should be able to discuss these things and show them, here's what the Bible says. Here's what's going on. Here's what you need to do. That wisdom comes and is imparted that way. Listen, listen to this, Ephesians chapter four. This is probably not a verse that you'd think to go to, but listen to it. Ephesians four, verse two. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, with peace. See that? Now that's written to Christians in the church, but remember something. If your children are serving the Lord, they're also it's funny to think that your son is also your brother in Christ. Your si- your daughter is also your sister in Christ. So you treat them this way. But listen to that again. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance. We know as they're being trained, people are going to make, understand that people make mistakes, but you're training them. But you make ruins, make, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, building or binding yourselves together with peace. Amen. And so there should be an aspect of this communication that allows you to speak about these things with your children. And let me say, if we're going to pray the way we do to God, then we have to understand his nature, right? Because Hebrews 4, 16 says what? That we have to boldly approach the throne of grace. How can I boldly approach God if I have this mindset that he's always mad at me? That was Ephesians 4, Sherry, verses 2 and 3. Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3. But Hebrews 4, 16 says we've got to boldly approach the throne of grace. So here's the question. How can I boldly come expecting him to answer my prayer if I have this mindset? He's always mad at me. He's always, he's always looking to punish me. He's always looking to blow me up. You know, I, 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 I can't. And there's this guilt and shame and you don't want to approach God because the, it's like it happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned. They knew they sinned. They had sin consciousness and God came looking for them to fellowship and they're hiding behind a tree and don't want to see God. Why? Because they have a guilt and shame consciousness, a sin consciousness. But as Christians, we've been forgiven from sin. We've been, we've had our sins removed from us as far as the East is from the West. And they've been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. So if God doesn't remember it, don't you remember it, right? So that's the way we have to be able to approach God with boldness knowing that he'll answer our prayers. Our kids should be able to approach us the same way, not with guilt and shame and wondering, I don't know what dad's going to say. I don't know. They should know you love them. They should know you're for them. They should know that you're going to help them no matter what it is that the enemy tries to throw against them. You're going to help them. They should be able to talk to you and feel like dad's going to understand. Mom's going to understand, right? And that's how it has to be. That's how it's going to, that's, that's, that's how it has to be because as your children are being trained, of course they'll face things they don't understand, but why would they want to come to you and talk to you about it? If you made them feel like, oh, you didn't understand that. I mean, come on. I, I thought I raised you in church. Don't talk down to them. Don't make them feel like idiots because they have questions. Don't blow their questions off as though they're not important. And if you don't know the answer, Find the answer. Find the answer. Go to the word of God together. That goes back to point number two. Study the word of God together. Know the answer. And get the answer together. Get resources that'll help you. Find the answers to your question. And then use that training 
to continue to build them, continue to build them, continue to build them, continue to build them. God has plans to bless your family. And I'm going to take the end here to pray for people's families because I know there are people that have prayer requests. Of course, we're back all week, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 1030, 15 things. These these are vital steps, vital actions to protect your family from the wickedness or this end time evil, protecting them from the wickedness of the world. And I'm telling you, it's going to help you immensely. It's going to help you immensely. Father, I'm praying for every family, praying for every child. I'm praying for every grandchild. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask you to put a a wall of protection around their family, a wall of protection around their peace, their joy, their health, their strength. I, Lord, I ask you to empower us by your Holy Spirit to please you with our lives, supernaturally please you with our lives. Empower us to live holy lives. Empower us to stay free from sin. We thank you that your word and your spirit through prayer that will be empowered to take the actions or the steps that the word of God teaches us to take. We'll not give in to the flesh. We will not give in to the flesh. No, your word declares if we'll walk in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So today we declare it. We will walk in the spirit. Our children will walk in the spirit. Our grandchildren will walk by the spirit and will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Lord, I'm praying for every person that had prayer requests for their family, their children, their mother. I thank you, Lord, that healing is coming now. I I ask you, touch by the power of your spirit. Touch, touch Liz's mother today by the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, let healing virtue flow through her body. I pray for Karen's daughter in Jesus' mighty name, that you would give her a real encounter with your spirit. Break her out of that confusion. Break her out of that lie and bring her into the kingdom of God. Lord, let somebody come across her path that she'll listen to that will give her the gospel and bring her into the kingdom. Lord, touch every child, touch every grandchild, every family member. Let this be a week of turnarounds in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.